Communication and Education. Joining us remotely today is our Education and Events Coordinator, Emily Kroll. Emily, welcome. Hello, hello. It's very strange to be coming in over over remotely, but uh, we'll get through it. So we're not we're not saying what service we're using because we don't endorse a, a product. We are exploiting for free, but um, we are communicating by computer. <laughs> I can't see can't see anything other than my screen. Um, at least I have my handy dandy uh, microphone with the uh, with the shock uh, the shock absorber on the microphone, and hopefully this all sounds nice on radio and in a podcast once we get going. But hey, pandemic rules, and we just got to do what we got to do, right, Emily? Correct. We'll adjust and get on with it. Right. Well, today we're going to talk, uh, we're going to close with a kind of an interesting superhuman uh, feat of strength story. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, late-term abortions, life of the mother exceptions, and how these things all kind of fit together. Uh, but first, of course, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court nominations with Amy Coney Barrett. So Emily, you watched most of the hearings and I watched most of the hearings and I actually watched every single minute of the hearings so I am all judicial committed out at this point <laughs> well are you should maybe do a presentation like Senator Whitehouse with like uh you know flow charts and circles and highlights of how bored you are and your mood level as the nomination hearings went uh went by <laughs> That was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> well, I, I will say that uh, having watched uh, a lot of the Gorsuch nomination and most of the Kavanaugh nomination, that this one went the smoothest. Um, I would say it was very much like the Gorsuch nomination, of course, uh, and we'll get into this in a second. You can hear kind of arguments and recriminations in the Senate Judiciary Committee, but unlike the uh, Kavanaugh hearings where um, as soon as they were gaveled into order, uh, senators started objecting and bringing up uh, ridiculous requests and charges against each other and whatnot. Um, this one went pretty smoothly. Relatively. Yeah. Yeah. It was, they all remained kind of cordial and there wasn't any name calling other than making fun of, professional football teams. So it was, it was pretty nice. Oh, and baseball teams. Don't forget the Astros. There was, Oh yes. <laughs> well, uh, I thought uh, Amy Coney Barrett, judge Amy Coney Barrett did, uh, an excellent job. Um, she was very poised and answered all of the questions and kind of, uh, weaved her way through some kind of political pitfalls that her, uh, friends on the Judiciary Committee were setting up for her. Um, and I thought the most critical point was, and they tried to do this with, uh, with Gar starting with Gorsuch and really with Kavanaugh, is to try to draw the, the, uh, the nominees into saying that Roe versus Wade is somehow some sort of uh, super precedent or this idea that it is somehow more important than every other decision in the Supreme Court that's ever been made uh, right up there with like a case like 
that kind of case, say uh, Brown versus Board of Education. But, um, you know, I thought Kavanaugh and Gorsuch kind of like wheedled their way through that. We're like, well, yeah, it's a precedent and blah, blah, blah. But Amy Coney Barrett, she just straight up said, no, it's not a super precedent uh, because it's been challenged since the day it's been decided and uh, it's never been broadly accepted in society. So I think that was an A-plus answer, don't you? It was a very good answer. So it's, uh, it's nice to have someone being truthful um, in front of the Judiciary Committee. So of all the, so the, most of the Republican questioners uh, were focused on her qualifications and kind of answering, going back and forth. Uh, particularly, it was weird how the Democratic senators were really focused on, and I know this case is coming up, uh, Obamacare, but since we all know that these Supreme Court fights all almost entirely revolve around Roe versus Wade, I thought it was pretty interesting that while the senators mentioned it and some of them talked about it, that Roe versus Wade was not their centerpiece argument, but um, healthcare policy was. Yeah, it it read a lot like an election scare tactic. Um, it seemed like they they knew that they weren't going to be able to get her on her qualifications because Amy Coney Barrett has fantastic qualifications for the position. And so um, there were about an average of probably about 50,000 people watching at any given moment. So it, it really read like a campaign tactic and not like they were actually offering questions to, to the potentially interviewing for a job. Yeah, and uh, my personal favorite has to be Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, who for his first, uh, so they did two rounds of questions, a 30 minute round and a 20 minute round. His first one, 30 minutes, it, uh, it looked like he had his staff up all night making all these poster boards of all these organizations and groups. And he was writing, um, you know, I don't if anyone's seen the movie Sherlock Holmes, where uh, the most recent one with Robert Downey Jr., where Watson comes in and he sees Sherlock's room and there's like red strings attaching every little thread. Um, Sheldon Whitehouse apparently was tying this whole grand conspiracy together that, uh, you know, that uh, conservatives support conservatives. Um, wow, Emily, I'm amazed. <laughs> it was, it was uh, one of those moments where it's like you did not need to take almost 30 minutes to explain the fact that cons support conservatives. Yeah, dark, it was dark, it was entertaining to say the least. Yeah, dark money interests. Um, just a word about that real quickly. So when you hear about dark money, the idea is these organizations don't broadly list all of their financial supporters. And so uh, that includes Rights Life of Michigan. And uh, a lot of the reason of that is, especially when you look at uh, you look at history, like, for example, the NAACP, or you look at today where it's very polarized, um, donors don't want to, they want to be able to give and not have their lives destroyed because they, uh, you know, wanted to give a $25 donation or something, uh, to support a, a group. Um, sadly in politics, especially today with social media, there's this whole idea of retribution and, um, that's not good, but, uh, you know, it's funny, we're talking about, you know, so, uh, Senator Whitehouse's antics, Obamacare, things like that. It's really clear in her nominations that they, they weren't really able to land any punches on her, um, which was their goal kind of going in. And uh, we'll see what sort of shenanigans they're going to come up with. But right now, 
the schedule is that the committee is going to hold a final vote after a week delay on Thursday, uh, November, or October 22nd. And then the full Senate's going to take it up on Friday, the 23rd. Um, and that's that. And I thought, especially as we got into the second day that the Senate Judiciary Committee members, there's almost uh, a sense among them that there's nothing that was going to stop this Barrett nomination from going through. Would you say that was a fair characterization of how they were talking? Yes, it's a very fair characterization. So yeah, they seem very confident that they're going to not only have the votes to get her out of committee, but that they will have the votes to confirm her. Um, I hope that that is the case, but uh, only time will tell. Yeah, we'll see uh, next week if they uh, start to pull any shenanigans to try to delay the uh, vote. Uh, or any other shenanigans about trying to uh, embarrass her like they did Brett Kavanaugh, but I don't think they will because at least with the, um, they might try to delay it, but if they had some dirt, then they had to do it with her in there getting questions. So not a lot to, not a lot of dirt on her, uh, except for, from all of her children, uh, <laughs> and keeping her busy, which we'll get into in a minute. I thought that was a kind of an interesting focus, how her children, uh, became talked about and um, we'll end our weird story to, to end the day. We'll kind of get into that. Uh, but let's move on to our second topic. And the reason we're talking about this is because, uh, and this happens every election season, um, where we as pro-life movement look at all of these candidates support abortion and particularly uh, late-term abortions, uh, partial birth abortion, things like that, which are extremely unpopular in America. And so we, of course, point that out to voters and say, hey, these abortion supporting candidates don't reflect your values, not even in the slightest. And this thing that you horrify, they're totally gung ho about. Um, and then what comes back in some form or another, and we see this every election season, is some sort of variation where uh, there is, uh, you know, they focus on the, the, so in, the so called hard cases, a child with disability a child with a terminal condition, um, the mother has health problems, uh, something like that. And what they're trying to do with that is they're trying to convince people that we need to have abortion available for these reasons. And uh, all these late-term abortions you hear about are for these heartbreaking reasons and not for just because the woman doesn't want the baby. Um, well, we'll get into that in a second, but I think it's important to state that uh, you know Michigan law, since almost the inception of our state, as soon as our state had a legal code, our state has always had a prohibition on abortion. And that prohibition has always made an exception for the life of the mother. So why does the pro-life movement do that? Well, that's because uh, you know we believe that the mother and the child's life are equal, legally, absolutely. And so in a situation where the mom's life is not at risk, you can't take the life of the child. If you have a situation where both the mom and the child's life is at risk, uh, these are very rare situations. They do happen, but they are extremely rare. Uh, then you kind of have a, a choice to make. And are you going to save one or are you going to save the other? And uh, we believe the law can't really be biased between either one. Uh, in some cases, uh, it, it always depends on the situation, who has the greater chance of survival. Um, you know, and some cases you see where there's really nothing that can be done for the child or some cases where 
uh, almost nothing can be done for the mother, or sometimes it's somewhere in between. And the law has never said that, uh, you know, that you can't end a pregnancy in a situation where uh, the lives are at stake. So it's just, that is clear, right, Emily? <laughs> Crystal clear. And that is the case. Um, I'm unaware of any state that doesn't have, well, any state that has an abortion ban. I'm unaware of any state that does not have that exception. Right. And so, you know, if you see a story out there, um, and I, I don't want to name any current ones, but we'll use one out of Ireland, for example. They, they, the legalization of abortion in Ireland was based on a case um, of, of a woman. And um, a lot of times, either the child or the mom's life was not really at risk from the pregnancy in these stories, or uh, if it was and it was mishandled by the doctors, that's not really you know, a justification for legalizing abortion, that is a justification for dealing with uh, the hospital or the doctors in that case. So, and, and two, you know, I don't like how you take a story where there is an obvious medical condition and then um, you apply that to the fact that uh, in over, we'll, we'll give one little data point here. So Guttmacher Institute did a study where they asked women, what is the reason that you had an abortion? And um, only 5% gave their reason as a health problem with me. Now, that does not mean that their life was at risk. Um, the question is kind of vague. And, you know, a lot of women go through a lot of different things in pregnancy, you know, preeclampsia, they're put on bed rest. Um, they have uh, some kind of health uh, problem with the child, a disability. But 95% uh, of abortions, even according to the Guttmacher Institute, um, are not for health reasons, and specifically for late-term abortions, uh, even research that the Guttmacher Institute has put forth is that a majority of late-term abortions are for economic or social reasons. Right, Emily? That is correct. I mean, you can't... Yes, it's... it's you can't... Yeah, you, what you were saying, you can't... Um, by looking at the data, you can't say that all abortions have to be legal um, because of the very, very, very few that actually occur for health reasons. Um, since the law and every law pretty much has an exception for in, in the emergency cases of the life is, of the mother is in danger, um, that doesn't account for the 95% that, that happen for other reasons. Yep. And, and even that 5% very rarely is the mom's life at risk. And usually it's a problem with the child, which, I mean, we have a very simple philosophy. A child's life is a child's life. It doesn't matter how disabled they are. It doesn't matter what their health condition is. You can't take their life just as you can't, you can't euthanize a one-year-old. You can't euthanize a 10-year-old. Um, and there in are the Netherlands. Cases, what? Unless you're in the Netherlands, in the Netherlands. then you can. Yeah. Uh, and they're actually, they're in the middle of, um, well, we'll, we'll set that aside. That's a whole other issue, but, uh, it's, uh, there are cases where the, the child is a terminal condition or isn't going to survive long after birth. Um, and, um, I had a conversation uh, online with a lady who was in this situation just the other day. And, um, the idea is, well, um, we need abortion because, you know, we want, don't want to prolong the child's suffering. But I mean, a, a late term abortion is not a, 
procedure that um, doesn't result in suffering. Either what you're doing with a child in a terminal condition is either inducing labor, in which case there's really no difference between that or the child being born normally. Um, they're still not likely to live long after birth or you're doing a, a late-term abortion procedure where you are uh, stabbing the, the child, tearing the child apart. You know, I don't understand the argument that we're going to end suffering by inflicting such massive grotesque suffering that would horrify uh, the entire world. If there was a case in a hospital where you had a terminally ill person, uh, say with a, say very painful bone cancer. And the solution to that was, you know, let's take some giant clamps and tear this person apart limb from limb. Uh, Emily, is that compassion? I would argue that no, that is not compassion. No, um, you know, it is compassionate. And um, what we've seen in some places, uh, not always available, and it should be, is perinatal hospice, where you're treating the child with a terminal condition exactly like you would a baby or an elderly person or anyone in between with a, with a terminal condition. Um, you treat any symptoms they may have. And um, you're letting them live their life naturally, however long they have. You're not using any artificial means uh, necessarily to prolong or extend life, um, but you're treating the person as a whole person. And you're not as a culture endorsing this idea that um, maybe you don't want to take life for human convenience, but once you start taking live, lives out of the idea of reducing suffering or because people have a, a bad quality of life that's always going to end in a very bad and dark place, especially for people with disabilities. Yes, yeah. yes, it's a, uh, it's unfortunate and quite telling how often, um, especially in the United States, how often children are disposed of because of a, a disability. So um, that's something that we were working against, but uh, yeah. Care, care is all, always the answer. Care and not killing. Right. Well, it, we have a really great uh, article on our website. We did an entire series on abortion myths. If you just go into the search bar and type myth, you'll be able to, to find them. And we address some of those myths, especially about how uh, late-term late abortions are mostly for health reasons, which in some case, uh, you know, they will come out and outright lie and say that's true and not just insinuate it, but that's not the case at all. And, um, you know, Michigan law has never and probably will never ever uh, say that you can't end a pregnancy if the mother's life is at risk. And so, um, you know, bringing that up is kind of a real non sequitur. And, um, you know, we sympathize with people in that situation, but uh, that doesn't mean that 60 million abortions in the United States the vast, vast majority of which are for economic or social reasons, because we didn't want to take the effort to care for the child that's not morally acceptable. Um, well, Emily, you have the you read the story. Uh, I had a chance to glance at it. I had a busy morning. But why don't you start with the story to close us out? All right. Well, um, as is my, my daily habit, I was scrolling through the pro-life news this morning and I found a very interesting article on um, a news site called Live Action. And I would recommend it 
live action. They do some pretty good reporting. And um, it's an interesting story because it kind of fits in with um, with what we've kind of been talking about with Amy Coney Barrett and with uh, choosing to choosing to have children and still pursue pursue a very a very um, successful career. So there was a young woman in Chicago this week, um, and she was sitting for her bar exam. So for of you who have ever um, gone through the bar exam, I hear it is a harrowing process. Um, she was taking the bar exam remotely, and there were some some interesting interesting rules to be able to do that. But she went into labor during her virtual bar exam, and it's a very interesting story because um, she completed her bar exam. Um, while she was in labor. So the exam was taking place over three days and um, she went into labor a little bit early. And so she, during her first exam, she realized that her water had broken. And instead of panicking, she finished the last 45 minutes of that exam. Um, in her break time, she called the called her husband in the hospital and her midwives and said, "Hey, I'm going into labor, but I need to finish my next exam." So she she finished her her um, second exam that day while going through contractions, and then that night in the hospital gave birth to her beautiful little baby boy, and then for the next two days she took her remaining exams from the hospital. So it seems like a, it's a very rare situation. I will put it out there, but I thought it was a, a cool story in the fact that here is a successful young woman um, who is taking her bar exams, going into the legal career is um, difficult and it requires a lot of work and dedication, but um, you see, especially with the legal career, um, when you look at stories of women who have had abortions in the past, they say um, a, a common reason is for education. And here, here we have an example that um, you, can, you can have your baby and a career at the same time. So hopefully she did well on her exams, but um, this, this ties into to the Amy Coney Barrett because um, we have another woman here who is going into law, and Amy has seven children, um, is, is an excellent example that a woman can do more than one thing at a time. You can be a mother and a successful career woman at the same time. There's no need to choose like the abortion industry will tell um, quite loudly. Um, they say you have to choose between yourself and your future and having a child, but um, we have multiple examples um, in everyday life. We've got this young woman from Chicago who is taking a bar exam and giving birth. And we have um, hopefully what will be our next Supreme Court justice. Um, two, two women who, who chose life and a career. And that is encouraging. And they, they stand in direct opposition to what most women are told. And so, I found that story encouraging and I hope everyone else finds that story encouraging as well that um, even in the most unusual circumstances life life still continues. Yeah for, for me I mean uh, like you said it gets it gets right to the heart of the abortion issue 
Um, a, a writer, Frederica Matthews Green, uh, once put it that, you know, a woman chooses an abortion like an animal chooses to gnaw its leg off that's caught in a trap. Um, it, you know, most, you know, most women, the vast majority of women don't go out obviously looking to have an abortion. Uh, they get pregnant and then they get in this situation where uh, the abortion industry directly in their counseling and society generally tells them that essentially that your life is over or rather your life as you know it is over and um, you start to feel this panic and uh, because you can't see the unborn child you know we we can tell ourselves as a society that the child doesn't matter and that's why the vast majority of abortions happen early term late term um, instead of seeing the child as a part of the human family that we need to care about, which is a message that our society talks about constantly in every other context, uh, you know, because we can't see the child, we can't see the suffering. We can just cut the child off and, uh, and you have to, and the message we tell young women is, you know, unless you're married and have a ton of money, um, you can't do this. You can't raise this child alone or even, as a family, um, or you can't get married young, or you can't do any of these things. And um, it's just so weird, especially when in our culture, almost when you agree, Emily, that the message you hear from almost everyone is you can do whatever you want to do. You can choose yes. to be whatever you want to be and all that, right? Yes. And it's usually the same people who are screaming that that are the same ones screaming for abortion. So go figure. Yeah, go figure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought, you know, with Amy Coney Barrett and we, you know, we have to acknowledge that raising a child is difficult. It comes with its difficulties. Any, any good thing does, you know, going to law school is, has difficulties. You disappear for three years. Um, you know, being a Supreme court judge, you know, you don't get to just, uh, shoot your mouth off anymore. Like a lot of us love to do on Facebook and Twitter about issues. You have to be careful and you can't answer questions. And, uh, you know, Amy Coney Barrett and her husband are both lawyers and busy and they have seven kids. Uh, two of them are adopted, one of them has special needs. And that's, that's a lot of work, but, um, you know, she's willing to do that and she can. And, uh, for other women, you know, they, they don't have to necessarily choose between their education and their career and other life aspirations and having a child. Um, and of course, at, at the very end of it all, uh, even if that were the case, there's always the option of adoption. Um, and as we saw with Judge Amy Coney Barrett, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, lot of senators criticized her because she ha has expressed pro-life views um, on a personal level. And so um, by, by saying that, I mean, like, you know, she uh, was participating with her local right to life chapter in Indiana. Um, but uh just to, I think, close us out, the idea that, you know, pro-life people don't care. And that's kind of the other thing besides the late-term abortion stuff that I've seen this election is, um, you know, you can't support abortion. You, uh, you just want kids in cages and you don't, you're not going to take care of the moms. You're not going to take care of the family and whatnot. And are you going to adopt all these children? And, you know, just look no further than Judge Amy Coney Barrett. It's a person who um, has religious beliefs that have been criticized. Uh, but she's willing to take this issue and actually give a home to children who might otherwise have been um, aborted or in many situations at risk for abortion. And adoption is, is always a wonderful option. 
And if you're listening out there and you've made that argument yourself that, oh, you pro-lifers, you know, um, are you going to adopt them all? Yeah, sure. You, you down for that, Emily? Um, yeah, as soon as I find some multi-million dollar benefactor, then sure, sign me up. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, well, no, well, well, we'll take a few. We don't have to take all, all of them. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, none of us are going to share it, right? <laughs> True story. Okay. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of LifeBeat. I thank you for sticking with us uh, with the audio quality. It's not as good as it usually is, but uh, uh, hopefully it was good enough. You were able to enjoy it. We'll join you again in two weeks, right before election day on November 3rd. Have a wonderful weekend.